when you feel the sense of the presence of the Lord, when you feel him making himself known as we sing these songs and lift up his name. Your spirit just needs to be saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Rule and reign and have your way in my heart, in my thoughts, in my life. You are the King of kings. And I do exalt you, I do praise you, I do worship you, and I do love you. Some folks talk about growing older in the Lord or maturing in the Lord as if, as if that's something boring, as if that's something sedate. I just believe maturing in him means we, we get, we're getting more and more of a grip on who he really is. And he is the God who knows no impossibility. He is the God who has no unanswerable question. He is the God without limits. And he is your Abba Father if you've received Jesus as Son, as Savior and Lord. So we sing to him, we worship him, we bless him. <laughs> and heaven is just, is, is just where we get to do that all the time, you know, if, if you... We joke about it sometimes, but if you have a hard time with the music in church, have a hard time worship of the church, you're going to really have a hard time in heaven, you know. And uh, we're not going to have a hard time up there. The good thing is up there we'll all have a voice, amen. We'll all have rhythm. We'll all have a beat. We can all hit a pitch. That's not necessarily the case down here. But one day, one day. Now... Say this with me if you can. If you, it's hopefully we've repeated this so many times. It's just automatic. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that was pretty good. Actually, that was pretty weak. But, but let's, let's, do, let's, just, let's just try that one more time. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a hallelujah fits right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, now, meaning current street address, current income level, current health condition, current marital status, current condition of kids and various types of offspring and family members. Now may the God of hope, right now, not tomorrow, not in heaven, now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound right now, right now, not when stuff gets fixed, not when everybody's being nice to you, not when you get the promotion, not when somebody that you don't like dies. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the power of the Holy Spirit cause you to abound in hope. Not by copying somebody who has hope, not by trying to think hope-filled thoughts, but just by the power of God at work in your spirit, may the power of God fill you up with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope. Now, for those of us in the room this morning who are saying that's anything but what I'm feeling this morning, then there is a word from the Lord right for you. There is a promise right there for you. Lord, if you meant that, and he did mean that, then I need that. I need hope. Hope is a powerful emotion, and the Lord knows we need it, and he promises to dispense it if we'll look to him and to trust him. One of the categories of hope that we've come to in our journey through this, this series on hope is hope for sons and daughters. Hope for sons and daughters. Now that, 
means sons and daughters of which all of us are either one, one or the other. We're either a son or either a daughter, but we also may have sons and we also may have daughters. This morning, I want to call it this. Here's the, here's the, the focus. Feeding greatness, the role of parents and grandparents. Feeding greatness. But here's the, here's, the, here's the truth. No child has ever been born great. And can I say that again without some of you grandmamas throwing your purse at me? No child has ever been born great. Now, they may have been born loved. They may have been born rich. They may have been born into a wealthy family or a prominent family. But no child has ever been born great. The child has to become great. Winston Churchill was born into a prominent family. He was born into a family that could afford him education and various levels of opportunity. But Winston Churchill was born as a frail young man, sickly, small of stature, as was Teddy Roosevelt. No odds were given that Theodore Roosevelt would ever become anything great because he was so sickly as a child. But they rose to greatness because they became great. And I want to submit to you that it is the role of parents and grandparents to feed greatness in the child or the grandchild. Remember this word out of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You could substitute the word masterpiece, not in its completed form on the first day of our lives, but the word workmanship or masterpiece presupposes effort that is going to be displayed by the craftsman. Energy and pressure and cutting away and adding to so that what is formed finally, fashioned finally, can be called the workmanship, the masterpiece of God himself. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now for every parent, every grandparent, but if that's not you, or maybe that is you, but here's what else you are. You are a son and you are a daughter, or a daughter. We're sons, we're daughters, but we may also be parents and grandparents. But this verse is saying that God has you here, is in the process of fashioning you, working on you to do something great, great with your life. I want to give you Webster's definition of two terms in that title. One is the word to feed or feeding. It means to furnish something essential to the development of. To furnish something essential to the development of whatever it is that's being fed. The word great or the word greatness has these meanings. Markedly superior in quality or in character. Remarkably skilled. Marked by enthusiasm. Great in the sense of enthusiasm. Remarkable in magnitude, degree, or effectiveness. Ephesians 2 says that we were created in Christ Jesus 
for good works which the Lord prepared beforehand. The word for good, another brief definition, is the word that means in the Greek New Testament, it means profitable, useful, beautiful, exceptional, excellent. In every child, in every son, in every daughter, in the mind and heart of God, there is a plan, there is a process to move that individual, that child, into the place that has been already prepared, already destined by God the Father for that individual. And as that child moves into that place, there are going to be works that that one is going to be doing. And I don't believe it's any stretching of the meaning here to say that in that sense, every single child is destined for some measure or some degree or some quality of greatness in their lives. So it is not wrong for a parent to look upon that child with admiration, with anticipation, with a sense of joy and delight, but also with a sense of, Lord, what is my responsibility in this? I see greatness in that child. God sees greatness. God sees excellence. God sees the ability to cre create the beautiful, the extraordinary, the excellent through the life of that child even more clearly than the mother or father or grandmother or grandfather sees created for good works, for excellence, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. With that being said, it makes sense that it would be the role of God-positioned parents and grandparents, God-ordained parents and grandparents in the life of that child to encourage that child toward the greatness that that child is destined to achieve. There may not be greatness in some of the ways that um, the world would quantify greatness and magnitude and extraordinary, but in the way that God sees greatness, in the way that delights his heart, in the way that would mark that child, that son or that daughter as being touched by God, there's an unlimited array of possibilities of greatness for that child, for that son or that daughter, for you, for you as a grown son, a grown daughter. Good works which the Lord prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No child has ever been born great, but every child should have the opportunity to become great. And by the power of the Spirit of the Lord working through the parents, working through the grandparents, working through spiritual parents and grandparents and the connections of family members who would love that individual child, there's nothing impossible with the Lord. Nothing impossible with the Lord. Now, I want to I offer for you this morning a few things to think about. If, if, you're a, if you're a son needing encouragement or a daughter needing encouragement, needing hope, but also if you, if you have a child or you have a grandchild, how to feed greatness into their hearts and into their lives. Here's the first one. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them in two ways with your words, and with your life. I'm going to show you a passage in Mark chapter 10 that's just fascinating. Every parent, every grandparent, everybody who loves chillin', as they say in South Mississippi where I'm from, I don't want to just spell it different, chillin'. It's not children, it's chillin'. And I grew up being called one of those precious little chillin', even though I stretched it, stretched it for my parents at times. This is Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Mark 10 verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, 
so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, said to the disciples, permit the children to come to me. You allow the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And then this line. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Now, I want you to just imagine that you were the mother of one of those small children, or you were the grandmother or granddaddy of one of those little children. It wasn't that the child was sick. It's that the child is the object of your affection, the desire of your love. And, and this, this man, and they didn't really know all of who Jesus was, but there was power flowing out of him, and there was life flowing out of him, and there was something about God that was flowing out of him. And they just wanted to get those babies as close to Jesus as they could get him in hoping that, that he would favor that child. He would bless their child. And instead of Jesus being insulted by them, did they all of a sudden become something different when they were in the presence of Jesus? I don't think so. I think the two-year-olds were still the two-year-olds. The six-months-olds were still doing what they would do. The four-year-olds were still doing what they would do. They didn't know this was the Son of God come in the flesh. They didn't know this was the one that all of the prophets had forecast would come one day, that they were standing in the, in the middle of human history like at no other time that humanity had ever known. And they didn't get that. He was just a person. Had a beard, sitting on a log or sitting on a rock, and mama's taking me to him. They were doing what they were doing. But watch what Jesus did. Instead of being an assaulted, Instead of thinking, I've got bigger things to do than this. I've got more important things to say than what these children understand. He fusses at his own men for trying to stop the mothers and the dads and the whoever it was bringing those little ones to Jesus. And he says, you, it says he became indignant. It, it, it's not often that you find Jesus mad about something. But when he's mad about something, there's a point to his anger. He's mad about something. And he was angry, upset, even disappointed in his disciples that they didn't get it. That, that you, you, don't, you don't really come to know Jesus by getting so old that finally you can see him. The best time to get to know Jesus is when you're young. When, when it's, it, it's easy to believe, easier to respond, easier to accept the love of God coming through this one known as Jesus. And so Jesus said, you, you let him come. And then it says, he took them, plural them, T-H-E-M, plural pronoun, and not just one as representative of the hundred that might have wanted to come, them. That's inclusive. Every one of them, every last one of them, he took them, where? In his arms, and he began blessing them, blessing them, laying his hands on them. To bless is the word we get eulogy from. It's a verb that means to bless. But, but it, it, means, it means to bless in the sense of, watch this, think about this. It, it means to bless in the sense of to say something kind, to say something encouraging, to say something positive, to say something favorable about somebody. But it doesn't leave it at that. It's not that you can just say those things and not really believe it. The word that was used to describe Jesus' action of the children was he said blessing, he spoke encouragement, he spoke kindness, he spoke favor, but he spoke it, and here's the rest of the meaning of that word, because he really believed it. He believed what he was saying. Bless you, my child, bless you. And he, who knows what kind of prophecy he may have spoken? Who knows what kind of scripture may have been referenced? He didn't know those kids except that he did know them. He had no previous background with them, but he was drawn to them and he blessed them and he spoke it. He spoke those things. He said them. And then he laid his hands on them. 
He touched them. He spoke it, and he laid his hands on them. Remember that and go with me to Numbers chapter 6 real quick. That's the other end of the Bible. You can go to table contents if you need to. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth one in the row. Verse 22. Then the Lord spoken, spoke to Moses saying, Numbers 6, 22, Speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, Say it to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And I will bless them. Bless who? The speakers or the ones spoken to? Both. I will bless them. I will bless my people. As you speak my blessing upon them, sons of Aaron, you priests, you be my lips. You be my voice. You speak my heart to the people. And you say what is in my heart to do for them. You speak consistently with what I want for them. I want to bless them. I want to keep them. I want to make my face to shine upon them. I want to be gracious to them. I want to lift up my counts upon them. And I want to give them peace. You say that to them for me. Now, was he speaking to a Sunday school class who had never known sin, had never known what it is to mess up, had never been pulled away or strayed away? Absolutely not. The heart of God is big enough to love the ones that he loves and to discipline the same ones that he loves without the two being contradictory, just like You can love that child of yours with all your heart and the love for that child not be diminished one fraction even though that child is doing some things, saying some things, choosing some things that you know are going in the wrong direction. To say it has to be one or the other is to make God too tiny. He's big enough to love us in our sin and to love us anyway. Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Here's here's what I'll say to you. Let me put it this way. Let's say the phone rang. Your cell phone went off. You looked at the number didn't necessarily recognize the number. Because some of your phones, it would say heaven. Some of you, it would have an area code that you're not familiar with. But when you put the phone to your ear, you heard a familiar voice. And it may be a voice that you hadn't heard in many years. Maybe a voice that you never heard, you just heard about. But on the other end of the line, you heard a voice say, and the voice called your name, David, this is your dad. And I want you to know that I love you and I am proud of you and that I'm thankful that God picked me to be your dad. What would that do to you? What if that was your biological dad? calling across the years from heaven itself. Or for what it was a dad you hadn't seen in years, maybe you never saw, or there was a divorce that happened and things blew up in your life and you haven't heard that voice or seldom have you heard that voice since then. 
But you heard that voice. And the voice called you by name. And the voice said to you, I just want you to know that I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm thankful that God picked me to be your dad. Something would happen to the deep inside of you. The power, the might, the grip of a spoken father's blessing reaches into the very soul of a child. Even if the child is 65 or 85 or 45 or 30, the father's ability to reach the soul of the child and encourage it and refresh it and instill fresh life and hope and a future in it. God was saying, because he knew how important spoken words and felt touches in the dispensing of a blessing would be to people, regardless of their age, he said to his priests, the sons of Aaron, you speak, you be for me. You speak this to the sons of Israel. I'm their father. I'm the true father. I'm beyond the biology of the whole deal. I'm their father. And I want them to know that I want to bless them, that my heart is to take care of them, that I want them to feel the joy, the light, the brightness of my face shining with pleasure upon their lives. You speak that for me. I want to submit to you granddads and dads and grandmothers and mothers and be God's mouth of blessing. You're the ones who can say it and really mean it. It, 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 it's, it, it. It's fine for us to say, I've got the smartest grandchild in the world. I've got the most beautiful, most wonderful. She's going to be the first president of the United States. He's going to be the governor of Texas or whatever. The deal about that is some of you flat out believe it. I mean, you're not, you're not stretching. When you just see it, you know it. Well, what if? What if God's planted that dream inside you? What if it is that you see something about that little old boy, that little old girl, that, that they, they can't even figure out how to get from the bathroom to the bedroom. They're still trying to crawl over the wall or crawl over the, to get outside the baby bed. But you see greatness. Where'd that come from? What if it is that God has put within you his heart so that it could be spoken and so that it could be felt. Now keep in mind that he knows there's not a perfect child. He knows there are going to be bumps in the road. He knows they're going to test authority. He knows they're going to want to go there. All of those things, he knows, he knows, but he still says to the mom and to the dad, you take my side of the argument. You stand where I stand. You speak my heart, and it'll go deep into their soul. So the one day, you know, teach it, raise up a child the way should go. When he is old, he'll not depart. That doesn't mean there won't be some skiing wide behind the boat there for a while. But they'll know where to come home. They'll know home. They'll know home. They'll know home. Hope. Hope for sons and daughters, feeding greatness, feeding greatness. Bless them with your words. Bless them with your life. Would you find Exodus chapter 34? Exodus chapter 34, we'll start reading at verse 5. Moses has received the second set of Ten Commandments. Not that the content was any different, but the tablets, the first set, were broken. So we just received the second set on Mount Sinai, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud, 
stood there with him, stood there with Moses, as he, Moses, called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Let me insert this. It's the first place in the Bible where God introduces himself by speaking things about himself to man. This is not, these next words are not Moses describing God or an angel describing God or a prophet describing God. This is God describing himself. He's speaking autobiographically, speaking personally. He's, he's there with Moses and then, and then he moves past Moses, by Moses, and as the Lord moves, these are the words that come from the Lord's presence. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And then this line, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. The word loving kindness is the Hebrew word that, that is at the core of God's covenant relationship with the people of Israel. That the core of that was not anger. At the core of that was not retribution or punishment or even discipline. At the core of God's relationship with Israel, which was a foreshadowing of his relationship with us, is kindness, mercy, graciousness, kindness. He knows what he's got when he's got us. Israel was no different. What he says is, he keeps loving kindness, he keeps mercy for thousands. For thousands of what? Scholars believe that it speaks specifically for thousands of generations, not just thousands of people. That God's heart is to continue through the family line to continue through the lineage of your family. Nothing other than the knowledge that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that he's slow to anger, that he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. And for a thousand generations, he has the ability to perpetrate that flow of his favor upon an entire family line. You can bless the future of your children and your grandchildren with your life, parents and grandparents, by choosing a life that honors the Lord instead of living for yourself and copying the world, but choosing to honor the Lord. You can secure for generations you may never see in this life the favor and blessing and mercy and kindness of the Lord. Now, it's possible that at some point along the way, they can choose to go their own way. But they didn't get the example of running from God from you. Amen. You didn't teach them that. You taught them by your choices, by your humility, by your repentance, by your desire to honor the Lord with all the categories of your life. That was the example that you set. That was the battle. They've got to choose for themselves. But it has the power that if the future generations will emulate that which they have received honoring God, that their generation and the generations following them can be blessed in every bit the same way. Time passes. Cultures change. Governments change. Geography locations may shift. But the blessing and the favor of God resting upon a family line can be secured and can be perpetuated if it is started and conveyed through the ones who bless. I want to bless you, my son, bless you, my grandson, my granddaughter, my, my grandson. I want to bless you as best I can with a life it's doing the best I can to honor God. Because he said, if I'll honor him, he'll honor me. And he also said, if I'll honor him and he honored me, he'll honor you. And I want him to honor you. There are many in the Alamo City family 
who didn't receive that kind of blessing from your heavenly father or from the earthly father. All kinds of sad and difficult stories are, are part of us as a family. But let me tell you how God can fix that. He'll do a work in two ways, at least two ways. One of them is he will cause there to be such a fresh work of the, of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. The Lord is the Spirit. Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. With a work of the Spirit just coming to you, making real to you, here's who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter, literally and actually, of the Heavenly Father. That your biological father, though important, is minimal in comparison to your Heavenly Father. And here's what Paul says, he describes it. in two different places, he describes it, that the work of the Spirit inside us, conveying to us what is called the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship, something God can do inside you, whereby from the inside out, here's what starts, Paul will say literally these words, crying out from the inside of you, Abba, Father. What was Abba? Daddy. Daddy. Instead of him being the great God out there somewhere, or Jesus still on the cross, or Jesus still a baby in Mary's lap, no, he's none of those to you. He is the reality of your Father's love pulsing inside your heart. And when something scares you, you cry out, Daddy! When something blesses you, you cry out, Daddy! When you need something, you're not going to a stranger, you're going to the one whom the Lord says you have the right to call Abba, Father. So whether your earthly father never saw the light, never checked back in, never seemed to care a flip about you, that doesn't mean that the truth is that's who you are. The truth is that who you are in Christ Jesus and who you are to God the Father is a powerful, unbreakable, flowing, mighty river. And the result of that impact in your heart is to cry out, Abba, Abba, Daddy. You have a daddy. You have a father, and he loves you, and he cares about you, and he knows you. Hmm. You bless them. You bless the children with your words. You bless them with your life. I would offer a second category. Spend a lot of time on this. It ought to be obvious to us. And to list these means that there's permission to do these, to bless the children, you know, realizing that they're going to... Here's the deal. We've said this before. Knuckleheads are going to give birth to knuckleheads. Jerks, for some season in your life, are very likely, in our lives, very likely to give birth to little jerks. Now, does that mean that all the goodness of God is thwarted, all the goodness of God, all the plans of God are just cut off when, sudden, when suddenly it becomes a little jerkomatic, a little jerkatron right there before our very eyes and going nuts and crazy? The heart of God for that child, just like the heart of God for you, bigger than your years of jerkiness, greater than the seasons of rebellion and straying and checking out and seemingly turning your back on everything that you knew would be right and just living for yourself. The greatness of God's love surpasses all of that, and that's how we are called to love as well. So when we bless to the children, we speak blessing over young adults. They're our biological, they're our offspring. They may live somewhere else. But you pick up a phone today, you punch their number on your phone, and it's because something's going off inside your heart. And what's going off inside your heart is the power of God wanting to bless that child. And they may be in San Diego or St. Louis or New York or who knows where. 
But the power of your word through all those lines, all that distance to be able to say, this is your daddy. This is your mom. I just wanted to tell you that I love you, that I'm proud of you. You may know all kinds of stuff. You may, you may be able to write a whole book on the reason you shouldn't be proud of them and how bad they've broken everybody's heart and the trail of carnage left behind them. But you take the devil's side of things. You take a godless side of things if you stand there forever. But you take God's side. You step to his cause. You lift up his truth and you speak in faith. You speak to the soul of that child. I love you. Why do you love them? Because God loves them. Where would you get that irresistible love, that, that kind of love that can't be shut off? Where did it come from when there are all kinds of reasons to quit? It's because the love of God for that one is pulsing in your chest. I love you. And I'm proud of you. I was proud of you when you were born. I was proud of you when you changed your diapers. When I changed your diapers, I was proud of you as you grew up. I'm proud of you. And I'm thankful that God picked me to be your daddy or to be your mother. So I want to say to you, if God is prompting you to do that, parent or grandparent, then there may be something going on in the life of that child that you don't have a clue. You don't know, but he knows, but she knows. You remember this picture? The voice of an old voice, the voice, the voice of, of, of the parent, the voice of one who has loved them from long, old, the oldest friend they've ever had has the power to reach down and take hold of the soul of that woman, the soul of that man, and lift that soul higher. You got all kinds of stuff grabbing them from beneath and trying to pull them down. Don't, don't, folks, don't blow off, don't minimize, don't set aside the prompting of the Spirit in your heart to make a phone call. To make a phone call. The power to bless, the power to love. You love them with your time. Little ones, the old statement years ago, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. No, that can be a challenge when the days are long and the kids are many, but the Lord has the ability somehow to make time count, to make time count. How many of you remember your father in a swimsuit. And I'm, you know, don't go too far with that. I, but, okay, but family vacation, family whatever, you're in the pool, out comes, you thought it was the sun because there was no tan on anything. It's just the door opened and this blaring light and he takes off and he comes to the diving board and he gets out on the diving board and you are aghast. You, you, are, you, you, you know, what am I, is this, you're in some sort of a surreal state. It could this in between life and death, heaven and hell, not even sure who is that person. I recognize him from here up. But he takes about two bounces and he comes off that thing and it's a, it's a cannonball, it's a can opener, it's a flip and a half, it's a whatever. Water blows up, and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Swimming over there toward your daddy, and then you're squirting each other and splashing each other and flipping people off the back, and everybody's wanting to do what he did off the diving board. What does that have to do with anything? You love them. You love them by playing with them. Mom and Dad, you know this. You, you're going to have, a, have to wear a boss hat enough. But a relationship between parents and children should not always be boss and inferior. 
I just would encourage you to ask the Lord, Lord, what, what, what could we do that would be fun for us? Something where, where the parents are colleagues with the kids. They're not, it's not what dad wants to do. It's not what mom's afraid to do. It, it's, it's, it's what would the kids like to do? And then let them choose and let them do it. And then do it with them and not whine and complain, but do it with them. Play with them. I, I, I tell you, I, you, if you, if you were to ask, I bet if we did this, you just turn somebody next to you, don't do it. But, you know, what do you remember is the happiest time with your dad? If you can remember a happy time with your dad. It very likely would be some time that wasn't formal. It very likely would be some time when he wasn't getting on to you. Very likely some time when you weren't having to report failure. Some time when there was laughter. Sometimes, folks, listen. Do you see how God started out that introduction of himself to Moses? He didn't start out saying, this is the Lord, the Lord God, mad, upset, ticked, fire, firepower, hell's ready, compassionate, gracious, loving kindness, and abounding in loyalty, abounding in faith. That how are we going to teach them that God is more than just a list of rules? That he is a force only to be feared when we do something wrong rather than a person to enjoy relationship with. It just helps to see a dad cut up. It just helps to see a mom be something other than a mom. I didn't get one amen out of that. But I believe if you think about, back about your own childhood, what do you remember the most positively about your home? And to know that the Lord is your representative to love those little ones, to love those children, you are his representative in the home, then, then how would, what, what would he give you permission to do and to go for and to enjoy? Love them. Because it instills a hope for the future. Not a God they dread, but somebody they can enjoy. And somebody who enjoys them. Somebody to whom we're important enough that he would want to behave pleasurably toward us. God is not all business. He's not all discipline. He's not all information. He's heart and he's felt, and his compassion, his mercy, the steps of a good man, the steps of a good one, ordered by the Lord. And get this, and he delights in my steps. So we show them that. We love them. Okay, I, I, need, to, I, need, about, I need about 10 more minutes. Can I, can I get that from you? And start your clock. Walk out when it's done, 10 minutes. Teach them. Teach them. Bless them. Love them. Teach them. Okay, but here's the trick to that. It's like, am I a leader or not? You can say all day long, I'm the leader, I'm the leader. You can have badges and certificates and all this, leader, leader, leader. But if you turn around and you look behind you, and they're in one blooming soul following you or doing what you instructed, you're not a leader. Same with a teacher. If, if I have all this information and I have all this knowledge and I have all this heart and I just, I just, I just give it out and I just pour it out, but then I turn around one day and I look to see what's happening with my students. And they're making paper airplanes, and they're shooting spit wads, and they're, they're looking out the back window. I hadn't taught them a thing. Knowing who it is, knowing your audience, understanding the children, understanding the abilities to learn, to receive, to respond, vital if we're going to be teaching. With that in mind, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I just want to give you this passage. And it contains the heart of what is to be taught. What we need to profit by. What does the Lord require of you, Micah said? 
but to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do what's right? You do what's right because it's right. If, 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 here's the practical application of that. If in, if in order to do what's right according to what you knew in your heart to be right, it meant that you, you were not elected cheerleader this year, or you weren't necessarily picked as the captain of the football team because you couldn't do some of this stuff because in your heart it wasn't right, or put it in any other category. You made a choice on the basis of what you believe was right. Instead of the parents and the grandparents saying, oh my goodness, you know, maybe, maybe what, I just I sure wish you had made that cheerleader position. I sure, sure wish you had been the captain. You know, I did, what, what, what do you think you didn't do right? Well, if you told them that, that, that you couldn't do this and you couldn't go there and you couldn't sleep with that one and you couldn't, whatever. For the parents to be able to look, the one who didn't get the position, but who did what was right in the sight of God and in your sight, to be able to say, don't you know, I'm so crazy proud of you, I can't even hardly tell you. But you did what was right. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but listen, your time will come, child. Your time will come. The ones who are selling their soul to everything else They'll be burned up, trash, spit, and nobody will remember them. But God is on the side of the ones who will live by truth. You tell the truth, you be the truth, you live the truth, and around this house you're going to be applauded. You're going to be applauded for honoring the truth. Second thing, love mercy. You teach them how to love mercy. Now, it may start where they, they you know, they, they walk across the sidewalk and there's some bug that just is slowly making his way or a caterpillar or something, a butterfly, and they're stepping over the thing. Instead of saying it's just a stupid bug, it's just a worm, stomp the thing, stomp it. But you sense compassion from God's prerogative, from God's perspective. They'll mature, they'll grow, they'll probably stomp on a few bugs and swat a few mosquitoes and, and slap a few flies before it's over with. But if that's the beginning of something that shows a tender heart and a kind heart and a compassion heart, and fathers, for goodness sake, don't minimize that in your sons. Encourage them to be people who are kind and who can understand other folks and the, the well-being of others matters to them because what you know is greatness, greatness follows that path. A company one day that's looking for someone to step into a position of significant authority is going to need somebody who's a team player. If you're going to be a team player, you're going to have to care about other people. Listen to them, care for them, try to take care of them. And then this last one, humble yourselves. Walk humbly with your God. Let me give you three words that go together. Three words that go together. Wish every parent, grandparent would write these down. Humble goes with respectful, goes with thankful. Humble, humble. I, I would just say that in my humble opinion, and Shirley may or may not totally disagree with this, we've, we've had our conversation along this line with kids, but I, I don't know of any characteristic more important in the life of a child, then the child that the child learns how to come in under authority. To hum, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time, First Peter. What is the mighty hand of God in this life? The mighty hand of God is ordained structures, systems of authority. 
in this life, governmental, educational, so forth. Business. Here's, here's the deal, and, and you, you know this, we know this, and that's why it's so vital that it be conveyed. The ones who have authority are the ones who have the ability to convey authority. But the gaining of authority is an extremely expensive commodity. You gain authority by working up through the ranks of earning authority by being submissive to the authority over you. The ones who have the opportunity and have the responsibility to dispense that authority, they're getting ready to retire. They're getting ready to move on to something else. They are categorically going to look for younger ones who understand the importance of coming under authority. If they're going to give it away, they're going to give it to somebody who is not a rebel somebody who doesn't always have to have his way or her way, but someone who has proven himself, proven herself, being able to work within the system of authority. You, it's not always the coach's fault. It's not always that your child has had bad teachers. It may very well be that there is something about needing to learn what it is to come in under authority and not bellyache about it, not whine about it, not be moaning about it. Because as you see that, you see that as a direct assault on greatness. They will never achieve greatness in any sort of a realm that involves other people and the need for, convey, for, for greatness or, or authority to be conveyed to them if they keep that attitude and it dominates their life. Bouncing around and bouncing around and bouncing around because they didn't like something here, didn't like somebody there, those people didn't understand. Were... Greatness, greatness, greatness will follow along the lines of being able, being willing to work well under authority. Respect for authority. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I can tell you that in generation after generation, the ones who absolutely refuse to honor those in authority over them, those are the ones, either they learn it the hard way or they're left they're left somewhere down below in this hand-to-hand -hand handout. I deserve some, but don't the government help me with something because I just have had such a tough lot in life. No. If you just said, yes, sir, I'll do my best. No, ma'am. Around our house, that, that was just one of those things, again, that it was just, it's just a big deal because I see it. When our son, Evan, graduated from high school and was on his way to, to A&M, I invited a group of businessmen and to meet in, in a friend's office building. They were, it wasn't a church setting, but these were Christian men who had loved Evan, watched him grow up. And I said, I, I asked two things of them. I said, I just would appreciate you having something to say to him that would help him for the rest, on out in the rest of his life. And then I'd like for you to pray for him if you're led to pray. The categoric, consistent, Number one statement that every one of those men owned their own businesses, higher levels of administrative leadership, some of them hundreds of people reporting to them, the ability to hire and fire, pick and choose, the one thing they all said was what we look for in a younger person is respect for authority. Now that doesn't mean that authority is always going to be right but it means that you better have it. I, I, to me, it's a hill to die on. I, you know, I, and and I, I mean that lovingly. But, but you will say, yes, sir. You will say, no, ma'am. And let me tell you something. If, if, if you're having trouble in a particular class, our assumption, I tell them something, our assumption is the teacher is right. If you're bypassed for something in sports, we're going to assume the coach is right goodness. Nobody said nothing. And, and then if we need to meet with them, we'll meet. But, the, but the, the thing is, you're not a prima donna. 
You're not the star of the world. We believe there's greatness in you, but here's what we also believe. You're going to have to be refined and tooled and shaped. And you'll only be refined and tooled and shaped if you'll submit to the tooling and the shaping. So encourage that. Encourage that. Some of you may have heard or read in the newspaper that Ricky Dixon, who stood here in this pulpit, this place, three weeks ago or so, as the vice president for Bluebell, has in the last few days been made the president of Bluebell. The entire company. It's the first time in the history of the whole company that someone other than a family member has been given that position. Now, he, for over 30 years, he was expressing something. Every time he would go to, go to work, there was, he was being watched, though he didn't know he was being watched, and it was an informal kind of a watching. But when push came to shove, when the time came to pick somebody to take Bluebell into the future, Ricky, who stood right here and told the story of what God was doing in his heart. And he said the same thing. JJ said the same thing. The, the, the learning to stay and not just enduring it, but learning how to enjoy it, being under authority. So that when the day comes that you are the authority, you're ready. The final word of the, in, that, in that trilogy humble and respect for authority, gratitude, gratitude, the ability to say, thank you, sir, thank you, ma'am, not just, uh, 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 thank you. Full on, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, or handwritten, handwritten, thank you. You will never be grateful until you're humble. But when you're humble, there's a respect for authority and there's a gratitude that rises up. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So where are they going to learn that? If we're never grateful for our jobs, if we're never expressing gratitude or respect, we're not showing respect to the ones over us, how in the world are we going to expect them, the children, to get that from us? It's one thing to be able to say, this was a tough day, this is a tough season, this is a tough job, but it's another thing to say, I've got the sorriest boss, this is the sorriest company, I can't wait until I get to someplace else to do something different. They get that. They get that. But instead to be able to say, kids, can you pray for dad? Can you pray for me? It's a season that's not real easy for me at work. I, I'm not, not sure all of how, you know, what all I'm supposed to do, but would you pray for me? It's amazing how when, when that is established as the culture in a family, what kind of faith can come out of those little munchkins that can just speak to something inside you that you didn't even know? You're going, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to help them. I thought I was supposed to encourage them. You come away from that great day. And well, what is that? Where is that coming from? It's because the Lord wants them to know he hears their prayers too. And that when he answers their prayers, he's answering your prayers and everybody's blessed. Let them pray for you. Well, then I got to tell them enough to be able to pray for. Risk it. If I show weakness, they'll kill me. No, they won't. No, they won't. Feeding greatness. Feeding greatness. That means you have to undo some things, chip away at some things in order to establish some other things. But what you're going for is the great deposit of God. The plan of God for that child. Okay, sons and daughters, grown sons and daughters, here we are. The Lord has plans. The Lord has designs. The Lord has a work that he's taking 
us to and in the process of, of building us for. Under his authority, respecting authority, grateful that I'm not an orphan, that I'm not a stepchild, I'm not without a heavenly father. 